Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and our favorite video games. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my marvelous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? Well, I mean, I'm okay, considering you just ruined its clobbering time for me forever. Uh, this is a conversation that the folks at home will not know the context of, which makes it even better. <laughs> Uh, today, we're going to be answering more of your questions from our wonderful listeners. Uh, if you have questions for this podcast or if you have a theme show that you want us to do, uh, be sure to send them into podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Uh, if you are a Patreon supporter, you can pop on Discord and you can head over to our Patreon queue and podcast questions channel on Discord. Uh, and then if you don't have a Patreon subscription with us, again, we understand. Uh, but you can go ahead and send those in through the queue and podcast questions channel to specify what show it's for so that we don't have to fight over it. Uh, without further ado, I'm going to get right into the questions. Our first one comes from Lord Soth. Greetings, watchers. Lord Soth here. I was recently leveling an alt and returned to Mount Hygel for its questing. Now, ooh, excuse me. Now that we know what we do about the Shadowlands, and specifically Ardenweld, I'm curious about the return of so many ancients that had apparently died. Do you think Elune might have sent word to the Winter Queen and expedited the return of the ancients in order to bolster Azeroth's defense as a counter to Deathwing? Obviously, we don't know, but I'm curious to hear if you have any speculation on the matter. Matt, what do you I think? Don't. No speculation. Nothing. Just a black hole of no information. Nothing. No. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, first off, I mean, as you point out, we don't know. Uh, but yeah, speculating, it, it certainly is something that might have happened. Uh, for that matter, we don't know that they weren't already back. And the only one that I can remember being a big deal was Scenarius. Um, the return of Lagash, I mean, he, who knows when he actually came back? It's just a, a question of when he felt like actually making himself known. Whereas Scenarius was a big deal. Scenarius, they had to go get his dad. Um, so yeah, but for that matter, his dad was back. Um, we've Malorn 
also had died during the War of the Ancients. And there he was. But that's been 10,000 years. That's the problem with a lot of this stuff is we, we know that time doesn't work the same way in the Shadowlands. Mm-hmm. We don't know what that means for the Emerald Dream or if they go. Do they go from Ardenweald to the Emerald Dream or do they go from Ardenweald straight back to Azeroth? Well, we know that- like they don't. They don't go back straight to Azeroth. We know that at least one way they go to the Emerald Dream first, because when uh, Ursok died, right, he yeah. went. We saw him in the Emerald Dream before he was sent to Ardenwell, because we were yeah, right but there. We don't, but we don't know if he then come back from Ardenwell to the Emerald Dream. Uh, that's fair. I mean, it seems like at least in Cenarius's case, that must have been what happened because he was in the Emerald Dream and then he came out. And so, yeah, I, you know, you got me. Um, it might have been a loon. It might not have been a loon. It might just have been the natural order of things. Because remember, up until the anima drop thing happened, that's what they did. That was their normal day-to-day thing was, you know, tend the wild seeds, get them back up on their metaphorical feet, and send them off to their reincarnation. So, also, also, there's been several ancients that we speculate that exist that we've never seen, right? Yeah, well, for that matter, there's the whole idea that the Loa the ancients and the August celestials are all related. They're all basically the same thing, which Um, I think we had not quite confirmation, but pretty close as far as it goes. Yeah. I mean, if nothing else, the fact that Aloha can give you, can teach you how to be a Druid implies that there's a certain connection between them. Um, And and there's been a lot of stuff back and forth on it. There's that bit in um, Shadowlands where uh, Vol'jin basically becomes Aloha. Uh, he replaces uh, Razan. So there's a lot, well, a lot of back and forth on this. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, like, even if you just look at just wild gods, right? Like, if you look at nothing else, there's such a large list of them, too. Like, you have Asinia, who is the, I think, the first wisp or the, the, the like, alpha wisp or whatever you want to call it. You have uh, Agamagon, uh, which was the razor boar, Aliothe, Ashmane, uh, Aviana, Cenarius, uh, Cheesy is included in this. Uh, you have Elolothrin, uh, Falir, Galdrin, uh, Lagoric, which, if you remember, is in Vashir and is associated with um, Neptulon. The reason I know yeah, that is because Neptulon. The big, the big critter underground, yeah. The, the big weird octopus shell thing. Uh, Leah Malorn, uh, you have uh, Nesfera, Niazau, Om, uh, Onahara, the eagle, the eagle guy that we talked with and, and dealt with. Omen, which we've is considered a wild god, the one that we have to put down in the during the lunar festival. Yeah, because he's corrupted, but yeah, he's he's a wild god. Uh, you have uh, Tortola, the original Tortola, the one that you know we saw, we we saw what happened to it in Battle for Azeroth. Uh, Renard, Ursok, Ursal, Zuen, and Yulon. So like these are all considered wild gods, and some of them we've never seen. We yeah, and only, some of them are August Celestials, for that matter. Some of them are August Celestials, but some of them have been dead for a long time. And then you go into the Loa. Like Matt's pointing out, like Hakar, Shadra, Bomsamdi, Gonk, Akali, uh, Shrivala, Nalarak, Harik. Like these are all, we know that the same cycle happens with them as well. They die and they come back. Like there's, it's a, a weird mix. Like there's a lot of them. And then there's the ones that we have speculation on that we don't know if they existed or not. Uh, there's a whole thing with Bran Bronzebeard, right? Uh, that several yeah, he thought there yeah he thought there must have been a badger one and so forth yeah Pandaren uh, a Quillbore one uh, we know Aviana created the harpies we know that we know Ursok uh, and Ursal were involved in the Firbolg possibly also the Pandarens 
You have uh, Gorlock, which was a frog ancient, Wolvar, which was a badger ancient, an unspecified Torin, uh, although it is possible it might be New- Nyazu that, you know, or that created yeah, the, it, the Andal. Yeah, it seems that likely that Nyozao is that is that ancient. But I mean, there's also other things we've seen, but we no one has ever really identified what they were exactly. Uh, one comes to mind from from Wrath of the Lich King. Uh Anoa, I think is how it's pronounced. I couldn't really tell you. But she's uh you see her when you're doing the various quests for the Tuscar. Mm-hmm. She's like a sea goddess, they say. Like that's what they call her. And she looks like a giant kraken, but she can talk to you. And she, but the Kraken, I mean the physical ones, not the ones with the tentacles, not the ones that face hug Neptalon type, but the other kind that the lurker below was one. Uh, and Okinawa is apparently one. It's like a giant fish monster. Yeah, goddess of the depths. Yep. Yeah, we, we don't know what exactly she is, but she might be a wild god. Um, she also knows, she also asks if they're, you know, when you see her, she's like, are you working with the trolls? Are you here to kill me and take my power? Which implies that she's like also considered by some trolls a Siloa. So there's there's a lot of possibilities there. Uh, and a lot of those beings all seem to come back. The Loa come back. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that because of what happened to Shadra, where Shadra is one of the ones that the trolls have been just eating all of their Loa, except for like, you know, the 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 dark spear have been taken away from it, but a lot of other troll groups have been like doing this. Uh, it was the Drakkar, I think who first came up with it. And then it was uh Zul. Yeah. Who brought it, who brought it to uh Zandalar and he's the one who taught his people to do it. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting thing. Right. And, and problem is the only thing we know for now is because of shadowlands is that they do come back and there is a process by which they come back. But we also don't know what a if the machine of death was functioning perfectly, we don't know what that speed of recovery would be. Right. Is it 10,000 years? Is it a thousand years? Is it does time have no meaning in it because of how the Shadowlands works? Um, We saw how quickly the anima drought affected Ardenweld by our perspective. Right. When we killed Argus from from the death of Argus to us going into the Shadowlands, there hasn't been that much time elapsed, right? It's I only been two years. Yeah. It's only two been years. two years. So in two years for us with anima getting directed to the maw, ostensibly uh, the maw was able to gain enough power that the jailer could essentially cast his chains out and do all the things he was able to do. We allowed him to grow in power to gift his followers more power, but also we saw the decline of all of the other realms and Ardenwell seemed, I don't want to say hit hardest by it, um, but compared to the other realms, Ardenweld seemed to be worse off than the rest of them, just because of the na- very nature of what Ardenweld does, which is use that anima not just to sustain itself, but also to inject anima into, in this case, Wild Gods Loa uh, or other entities, gods, these these high level beings, and then send them back out into the world or to their worlds. Uh, you know, Bomsamdi talks about it. Bomsamdi. Uh, there's a whole quest line that you do, especially if in, in if you are in the Ardenweld Covenant, you do a whole series of quests with Bomb Zombie that kind of explains a little bit about that transition period and the fact that they can be sent back. Um, but like certain certain folks, in fact, like Bomb Zombie in specific, can close the door or bar the door for them, and this might be due to uh, some agreement he has with uh the the winter queen or something that he understands about how it works that some of the others don't 
it's there's a lot up in the air about it. We just know that Ardenweald is key in that rebirth process. And then there's other questions like, we know about the Emerald Dream on Azeroth. Is there an equivalent on every other world, or is there an equivalent on any other world? We don't know that either, yeah. right? And is the Emerald Dream like what we thought it was, or is it something else? It might be the one that we know of might be the result of the Titans tampering, but there might be like a, a, a pure one that has nothing to do with the Titans that exists just as the Shadowlands exist. It might be its own realm of existence, and it just happens. The place we think of as the Emerald Dream might be like the equivalent of a borderland between the pure Emerald Dream and our world. And it's the reason it was important is because it's the thing. It's where the dreams of our, of the uh, slumbering Titan inside Azeroth go. Mm-hmm. So that's why it was important, and that's why they shaped it. You know, we, we have no idea. There's like a ton of stuff we don't know. Yeah, I mean... It's, Heck, we, we haven't even talked about like all the things that aren't necessarily like they didn't look like wild gods, but you know we keep getting told they're going to come back. Like we know there was Shadra, who's over on the the troll side. She's a Loa, but there was also Lady Sathrath. Yeah, which was a spider that just lived in, in like it was it was apparently sacred to a loon, and it lived in a uh, on Darnassus. Well, and when when players have to kill it because it's apparently going got corrupted perhaps by the same process that Fandel Staghelm was using to corrupt the tree. Uh, you kill it, but then its spirit is visible in the temple of the moon. Mm-hmm. And they even say, Oh yeah, she'll be back. She'll be reborn. Is, is she an ancient? Is she a wild God? Is she a Loa? Is she just a, a very spiritually important spider? I mean, you know, we, we, we don't have answers to these questions either. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's just so much like one of these days, if you're ever bored, uh, or if you just kind of want to see like the list of what we quote unquote know so far, go to like Wikipedia and look up Warcraft divinities. Don't just look for uh, specifically like wild gods or anything like that. Uh, but look at that and just look at the long list of names that are there. The number of things that are considered Loa outnumber the ancient guardians, which outnumber which outnumber everything else there in the elemental Lords are considered inside of that as well, because they are sort of on that same power level. They grant their followers, uh, Supreme powers. They, uh, you yeah, know, Loa isn't like a, low is not like a race or an, uh, an existence. It's like a role. Yes. Like if you are a Loa, you basically grant favors in exchange for something. Sound it's, familiar? It's almost, like the eternal yeah. ones, maybe. Or for that matter, like we talked about with the elements and and and, sh- and shaman, there's something about this process of the loa itself is just like a title you give to somebody who you make a deal with. Yeah, and, and then there's and each of the loa that we've seen, the big ones, the ones that like are a big part of troll culture, are like ones who've given a patronage deal to entire tribes or more. Like Razan was the loa of kings, so every Zandalari king. And Razan had a very close relationship. And then there's oddities like uh, the primordial aspects like Murmur or Ordos, right? Which have existed. Ordos, Ordos, we don't even know what the heck is up with Ordos. Is Ordos an elemental being? Is Ordos, like what? Is Ordos an ancient? Why is Ordos on fire? Like is, if he's an ancient, why is he burning? It seems like. Is, was he set on fire at some point in the past and he went mad well, and we turned do, against his own kind? Like, we actually you know, know we actually do know that he was a Yangal who uh worshipped fire like all the rest of them, but sacrificed himself to the flame. Yeah, that's what we're told. Yeah. But think about the fact that he seems a heck of a lot more than just some dead Yangal. Yeah. So yeah, there's there's a lot to this. 
Yeah, I mean it's it's a complicated cycle. It's Ooh, a complicated. You know what though? We were just talking about um Vol'jin. Yep. It's quite possible Ordos made a deal with the original Yongle. Yeah. Keep in mind that like Neo Zhao seems to have created the Yongle, but he doesn't seem to care about them. So like what what who did who did they have deals with if it wasn't him? Because he does not seem to give a rat's behind about them. Like, so who was it? Did they have a patron spirit? Was that patron spirit an elemental? Did that elemental do for Ordos what Razan did for uh, Vol'jin? We, we, again, don't know, but there's lots of stuff about this. Yeah, and then we haven't even talked about, like, some of the weirder ones like Gazrilla and stuff like that, which started as a joke, maybe, yeah, wh- or as a pop culture Why are Hydras reference. sacred to the old gods? <laughs> but, Hydra, but Hydras exist, and they've existed, you know, prior to the old gods, apparently. Yeah. Trolls have accounts of them before the old God stuff really started happening. Like there's a bunch of weird stuff here. And it's interesting because the universe doesn't get more defined in when it comes to divinity, it just expands, but it, it does so in a believable way, right? Like we now know the Cavaldier who they worship and why they worship her, why they're followers of Helia. Um, we could talk about, you know, dragons and krakens and wild gods and tuscars and, you know, old gods. It's all interwoven and it just makes you feel like you're at the center of some cosmic or divine battle that's been raging for time immemorial, right? So it's, we don't really have a whole lot of answers. We can tell you that deals probably were made, right? Because it's not like a loon and, uh, I, why can I not remember her name right now? Um, Winter Queen? Yeah, Winter Queen. Like, it, there's, they obviously know each other. They've obviously interacted. And if they've interacted across the barriers of time and space and different realms, there's no reason to believe that that hasn't happened with others that haven't maybe reached out and maybe tried to broker deals. We know Bomb Somdi brokers deals all the dang time. And if he knows the back roads to get out of Ardenweld, I'm pretty sure he probably would have cut a deal to get somebody's God back to them a little bit sooner than scheduled. If he knew how to do it, if the payment was sufficient enough, uh, and maybe some of that was to bolster Azeroth's defenses as a counter to events that were going on. Uh, maybe it wasn't, or maybe it was in response to things that we have yet to uncover or see yet. That's another option. So, uh, Lord saw, thank you very much for that question. There's a lot there. We could probably do a whole episode just covering divinity we could probably do a whole seven episodes covering divinity uh, in Warcraft, but I think that'll have to do for now. <laughs> All right. We're going to move on to our next one from Vertigree. What is it that the Stormrange name is about again? I seem to have a distant memory of Malfurion's family having a connection to lightning. And once or twice Malfurion did some lightning, maybe perhaps the details were in a book. I just think it's neat. Uh, I can tell you up front, having gone and looked around, I found nothing about the Stormrage family before uh, Illidan and Malfurion. Like, like they're barely, like, I think their parents are mentioned once or twice. Uh, I couldn't find anything about the Stormrage name coming from them doing anything involving lightning. Uh, Malfurion's a druid, so he most likely has done lightning quite a few times. Uh, but I don't think that the, the name of the family predates Malfurion. There, there were Stormrages before them. Mm-hmm. There's even like a storm rage out there who isn't related directly. Um, I think it was a playable character for like Warcraft three. Like one of the people you'd get would just be named storm rage, but it wasn't, he wasn't a, a member of the family Illidan and Malfurion. Um, I think it's interesting to, to point out that both like Illidan actually had more druidic potential 
Yeah. Than Malfurion. Yeah, he did. Malfurion was more emotionally available to be taught by Cenarius, uh, whereas Illidan was more questioning and didn't didn't buy into what Cenarius was selling. But he had the stronger potential because he was born with golden eyes, and the the night elves used to think that being born with golden eyes meant you were destined for greatness, and it kind of does. In that, if you're born with the golden eyes, then you have a very strong potential to learn druidic magic. Um, and I mean, that implies that Ashara would have been an even stronger druid than she is a sorceress, which is terrifying because she's an incredibly powerful sorceress. But in terms of the Stormrage family, they, they weren't even highborn. They, they were just a, an average family. There wasn't anything special about them. Illidan and Malfurion uh, became prominent, but they weren't like their family line didn't benefit them anything. In fact, Illidan only became like a respected sorcerer because he was appointed by a uh, Cratalos Ravencrest as his personal sorcerer. He got in under the wire basically by becoming the, the personal sorcerer for, a, you know, a, a uh, general. Uh, otherwise he never would have gotten trained as much as he he was. Uh, and it, the highborn would never have allowed it. And not only that, he wouldn't have even have been allowed even that, that chance or opportunity had he not been born with golden eyes to begin with. Like mm-hmm. the fact that it was a spectacle because before him, the last one that was born with golden eyes was a certain queen Azara. There, they're always said to be what they're the golden eyes were supposed to be a mark of a great destiny, um, a portent of prophecy yet to come, whether or not it was made clear what that prophecy was, but it was mm-hmm. never, it was never just relegated to, uh, the highborn. Right. However, I'm, sh- but I think I distinctly remember that rankling Azara a bit, uh, but still they were just common lowborn elves outsiders. Yeah. Average. They, I mean, they weren't like, they weren't, the elves didn't have a peasantry uh, at the time. Their society was basically just everybody. And then the top 1% were the highborn. Mm-hmm. And if you weren't highborn, you were just part of the everybody. Um, Raven quest, for instance, was highborn. Like there's no way you would have gotten to be a, a powerful general in Ashara's forces. If you weren't a highborn, the Ravencrest family was incredibly well-placed. Um, but then you have like the shadow songs, like Maiev and Jared. Um, you have, um, I can't remember her name, but she got adopted. I should remember her name because my God, she's incredibly impressive. Uh, Taranda's adopted daughter, the uh, current like general of the, uh, of the night elves. I cannot remember her name. Why is this happening to me? Come on, dude, you know her name. Chandris. Thank you. Chandris Feathermoon. Okay. Yeah. I just didn't want to, ah. I was trying to give you a, give you a room. No, don't give her, me room. Just tell me her, her chief, her chief student, her, her best student and adopted daughter. Yes. Yeah. And she's the, uh, she's one of them. She was, again, there was nothing special about her bloodline. Um, most were, as opposed to say the Sunstriders who were considered weird among the highborn, but were definitely highborn. Um, Dathramar Sunstrider. Um, the, the last name is not, it, it's funny because the last name wasn't Sunstrider. It was, it was something in Elven that meant he who walks by day. And that's we That was weird to, to the night elves at the time to go around during the day. Why would you do that? A loon's not out. It's the bright sun thing is out and everyone can see you. No, you go out at night. That's the whole culture is about this. And so Dathramar's family was considered weird, but they didn't have golden eyes, but they did. They were highborn. It's an last names aren't like the way we get the last names in the game. You have to remember that those last names are not the elven last name. Not it, not the language, not the word it would be. They're the, they're sort of the, yeah, they're sort of the common tongue 
yeah. uh, like, I, I don't want to say like mangling of it, but it's the trying uh, when you try to somebody's the elven words yeah. meaning and make it into something that fits in the space in, in quote unquote common. Uh, so like when, when Chandra's Feathermoon meets a human and she's, they're told her name is Chandra's Feathermoon, she understands that that word means what her last name is. But her last name is probably something more along the lines of the moon's feathers in night or something. It's, it's a, like a multi-syllabic deal if we tried to translate it directly. Elvin's more concise. That's why you can have the high blade just be Quelsarar. You know, it's not, doesn't have three words. It's just one word, <laughs> that kind of thing. So... Yeah, I mean, Quelsarar doesn't mean the high blade. It literally means, you know, high blade, you know, high sword. And there's multiple different, like Quel Dalar, Quel Zaram. They, they all kind of mean the same thing because there's multiple dialects of Elvish. The same with last names. Uh, it's likely that somebody in their family line did something to get the other elves to call him something along the lines of the Rage of the Storm. And that became Storm Rage when, when we tried to translate it. But yeah, in terms of what they did, we don't know. Yeah, we really we really don't have much in the way of uh family stuff when it comes to that. And yeah, there's barely well the, I think that that video we saw in Legion of the of the birth of the twins is the first time we ever mm-hmm. saw them born or any elf born like that. That's like the first time we saw what night elves get up to when kids are born. Yeah, and I mean, don't forget to that uh until that moment, the only new, the only thing that ever mentioned their family or their their parents was that their parents died before the War of the Ancients. That's it. That's the footnote we have for them. Now, I understand where some of this comes from. This is sort of, uh, I don't want to say like a little bit of the Mandela effect, but it kind of is because way back when, when Warcraft 3 was a thing, like people remember somehow Malfurion being one of the playable heroes in that game. He's not. Uh, the Night Elves had access to uh, ostensibly what the Keeper of the Grove, which would be Cenarius, Priestess of the Moon, which would become Elun, or um, um, Tyrande in service to Elun. You had your Demon Hunter, which was Illidan, uh, and then you had a Warden, which, again, was Maeve, Shadow Song, right? It was a Sentinel, essentially. He didn't appear in anything other than uh, a comment or, or showing as being a Druid. You never got to play with him, but people remember him. And for whatever reason, there's this thing, and I don't know where it came from. It's I refer to it as kind of like the Warcraft's version of blowing on the Nintendo cartridge to make it work. It's that he was the hero class, the Stormcaller, which never existed. And I think it has to do with just the name becoming up and him being named when uh, Vanilla Warcraft was released. That sort of that kind of thing sort of happened. And we also forget that it's been... 25, 30 years at this point. Well, depending on which Warcraft you're talking about, but Warcraft 3 came out uh, in 2000. Yeah, so almost 25 years ago, so 22 years, right? It's been a, it's been a while. Uh, and so, like, we fill in gaps like that. Now, would it be cool if there was something that had to do with that, with him summoning the storm and fury of, of all of uh, nature? Maybe, but that's also more of a shaman gig, right? Like, shaman would call to the, the elemental planes uh, or the elemental forces of air and water and especially after what we did during legion when we went to the uh basically make a deal with all of the elemental lords it's more likely for them to call that fury down than it is for a druid i would say personally i would disagree with you um one of the first spells you get as a druid is wrath and it's literally you throwing lightning at people is it lightning it certainly looks like lightning it's green but it looks like lightning (laughs) i mean i'm just i'm not saying that shaman can't do it i'm just saying it's not 
any just, more a shaman thing than it is a druid thing. Druids, druids are contacting nature. I mean, that is their deal. Uh, basically, the way I look at it is, shaman and druids basically approach the same idea from different scale constructs. Shamans go at it towards the through the building blocks of the elements. They they literally go come at the natural world through its components. Uh, druids come at the natural world as its own meta thing. Like it, like literally a level above the world you're in. Like shaman are the level below the world you're in. They're talking about all the things that make nature what it is. Then there's nature that you actually live in. Then there's the natural world and the natural order that druids are talking about, which is like almost a, a force that tries to create itself in a world, um, which is why it's so tied into the Emerald Dream because it's like the world trying to dream itself into existence. So I don't think they're disparate or unrelated i just think it's you know this group takes it from this angle this group takes it from that angle there's a reason that both restoration shamans and restoration druids exist and they're both essentially doing the same thing they're both healing you with the power of nat the natural world shaman are directly using the components like water uh druids are just kind of going eh, it's all together heal them you know the force that threw the green fuse drives the flower so i don't I do think, however, this kind of connects up to what we've been talking about with the Stormage family, because Joe has been making this point for years. Trolls have shaman. Yep. Night elves and all other elves are descended from dark trolls. Mm -hmm. We met a dark troll, uh, a surviving, existing dark troll. We met her in Zandalar. She's basically like a a curiosity to the other trolls. They're like almost keeping her like a pet or a, or a house, you know, some some fancy thing. But she's alive. Which begs the question, is Night Elf and Elf, like, long-livedness, for lack of a better word, is that inherently a Dark Troll thing? Because other trolls don't seem to live very long. This one's been around for a while. Because this one remembers Dark Trolls as a society. When the heck was that? So, that's something that I think of. Did they have shamanism? Like, why wouldn't they have shamanism? Like, other trolls do all other trolls do i can't think of a troll group that doesn't have it mm -hmm. so would the dark trolls have had it did the dark trolls have it certainly seems like the trolls are talking to the loa the much in the same way that the night elves talk to the to the ancient guardians if, if it's similar in that way wouldn't they have had people to talk to the loa for them before elune became so prominent like we only see priests and druids in night elf culture and we only see really reverence towards a loon they respect the ancient guardians they respect the wild gods but they don't worship them why not did is a loon a member of that group what is a loon we don't know that either but the, there's the idea that there's no shamans in elf culture like and and not just night elves go to the nightborn go to the the blood elves or the high elves you find me an elf, you will not find shaman among them but you know their direct ancestors had shaman yeah and that always that always I always thought that was the larger question. Was it a conscious choice or was it an evolution? Right. Or was it even just a question of did Druidism come from essentially a group of shaman who decided instead of focusing on the micro scale, instead of focusing, like think of, think of shamanism as pointillism. You are constructing a view of the world through these dots. You are putting together like like a comic book panel with all these mm -hmm. little dots that, that tell you this is what the world is. What if they said, forget the dots. The dots are there. We don't need to keep imagining them. Let's look at what we're seeing. 
Like what are the dots making? What is, what is it when you have all the elements working together? What is that thing? And let's focus on that. That, and it really, is there now a difference between Druidism and shamanism? Now, obviously there seems to be, but again, we see a Loa just give trolls Druidism one day. There just gives it to them. There is a weird, there's a weird thing that I've always considered too. And I don't know then this might go back to Queen Azara and this might be something that we don't know. Was shamanism outlawed? Was it abandoned in, in, in terms of you can keep your religion. That's fine. I can't touch those that worship a loon. Is it, you know, because society will rebel against me and that's a card that I can't play yet. But shamanism is just arcane magic that you you are doing without being trained. Let's just train you and be sorcerers instead. And if that was a conscious choice because of her bid for power, because druids didn't come really until later on. And even then they weren't that large in number for them too. And there's that whole idea of there were people who were like druids, but but they weren't directly taught by scenarius uh-huh and they didn't have the full range of power and where you know who where do they fit into all of this uh we met one in suramar uh, yeah either helped us with the tree but here's another thing to consider when we're talking about all this ashara was was assiduously working to replace a loon in the hearts of her people to the point where they named a city the lundris which meant eye of a loon they named it zin ashari they mm-hmm. changed the name she, she basically went to a city that was dedicated to a loon and said, now it's dedicated to me. And everybody went along with it. Most common night elves viewed Ashara as the next best thing to a loon, like practically a loon on, on Azeroth. Like they, they loved her. They would have done anything for her. So consider that. Now consider the difference between arcane magic and shamanism. What's, what's the main primary difference between a shaman and a a mage or a, uh, a a warlock or what have you they get a water elemental and i don't i'm looking at you blizzard no but, <laughs> but yes but the main difference is shaman generally speaking are make deals and ask mages don't mages just control and contort the primordial yeah. forces of the universe to their will through will and what group looks like that dark shaman and what kind of trolls were we just talking about who became elves? Hmm, interesting. Dark trolls. Yep. It's possible that d- dark troll shamanism was already headed down the same kind of path that the Tonka shamans were, were using. And it's not that the Tonka shamans are evil, but they're like, we can't afford to get a no here. This is, we're living in a crappy, inhospitable place. And we all, you know, we all remember being driven up here because we couldn't find any place else to live. So we got to make it work. So whether or not you want us to have this power, you're going to give it to us. And now we've seen what happens when other people start doing that garage Hellscream, for example, but that wasn't an inherently evil action. And the dark trolls lived in an even more inhospitable place than the Tonka did. They lived underground. Mm-hmm. We know what's underground, horrible monsters everywhere all the time. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, interesting to consider this it's even more interesting to consider the fact that when you look at the temple of Elune that oh, became the tomb of wait Sir a minute Harris, hold on hold on, a second, okay. hold on a second not even just horrible monsters the elementals in the deep places are actively hostile towards you mm-hmm. like when you go to places like you know go to the undermountain go to places like that the elementals 
want to kill and eat you and turn you into fertilizer that they're not exactly agreeable to talk with you. Look at, look at some of the, the rock Lords that we've encountered. They don't want to like parlay. They want to crush you. You are bothering them. You are beneath them. And you live in a place like that. Of course, you're going to try to bend them to your will. That makes perfect sense. Sorry. I just had to throw that in there. No, no, you're right. But that's exactly what I'm getting at. Like, think about, they they come up from there. They find the well of eternity. They expose themselves to it and become the first night elves. Now that that well of eternity, that's like the perfect example of the world changing them. And what does it do? How does it? What does the change that the well brings look like? What does it do to your mind? Because they don't think like trolls. Trolls and night elves, they're not entirely dissimilar, but they don't think the same way. What was it that they, you know, what was their focus? What happened? Like, and, and why, why does Ashara's scepter, a shaman weapon? Yep. And I brought that up a long time ago because that's been bothering me. But it makes perfect sense. If you think of the magic that the highborn suddenly had that nobody could compete with as dark shamanism or evolved from dark shamanism, because Look at the difference. The reason that the trolls couldn't stand against arcane magic was because the trolls had to negotiate everything. Like they have to go to their Loa and say, Hey, can you help us? They're doing stuff. The, 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 the first, and you know, when the night elves start building their empire, even before Ashara herself, she didn't, she didn't exist when the empire started. The empire existed for a couple thousand years before she was even born. So, and to tie this all back, that, time, that, that the, feeds you know, into the relationship between the elves and trolls too. Like, go back and read the Sylvanas book and how they viewed the trolls that lived right outside their gates. Trolls were not nece- necessarily throwing magic at them; they were l- relying on themselves and sneaky ambushes and using poisons and other things. Like, because they didn't have time, they didn't have the numbers to overwhelm but they also didn't have the time to just continually broker deals and yeah and if you go to like zulaman they had four powerful priests dedicated to four powerful loas sitting there and they still weren't doing that they still weren't yep. throwing mad hexes and 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 elemental magics at the elves and elves were continuing to romp through those lands unopposed because of it 100 humans who learned arcane magic from the, the high elves were enough to stop the troll advance dead in its tracks. 100 humans. Think about that. Think about how they did it. They even like pretended to be losing, lured the trolls south into a, into a mountain pass and then annihilated them. And none of their shaman could stop it. None of their high people, none of their zools, nobody could stop it. The humans, just 100 of them, took out the Amani. And and in a lot of ways, some of the druids, or at least some of the druids under under Malfurion, while they care for nature, kind of fall into a little bit of that as well, too. Like, they're not sitting there brokering a deal in the middle of that. They've already been, they've already made the deal. Yeah, and they went went straight to the top and made it with, you know, they made it with an aspect. They didn't mess around with all these lesser beings. They went straight to the top and made their deal there. And then that deal said, yes, you can call upon us whenever you need to. There is no brokering involved. There is no, there is no, you know, this for that. No quid pro quo. So the like, quid pro quo is established. We will give you all the power you need and you will use that power to defend the natural world. Exactly. And it's done. The, the deal is done. So 
that's it's interesting because that's a rival to if you think about it if you start off with shamanism where you're making small deals again pointillism you're making you know individual deals for individual things then you come up to you know arcane magic where you're now not making any deals dark shamanism to arcane magic you're not making any deals you're just straight up telling the universe then you go to druidism where it's like okay the problem with this straight up telling the universe everything all the time is it's really personally draining but what if we asked just you know, scenarios to talk to the Emerald dream for us and make a deal with just nature itself. And, and to put this in context, shaman have learned from this, right? Because during, during Legion, we established that it was no longer brokering with individual elementals anymore. We literally put elemental Lords on thrones. We yeah, made and, deals with and, the top. Yeah. <laughs> so like yeah. got sh- the four elemental Lords together and said, now we're just going to talk to you. And the shaman, the shaman looked at the druids and said, we should have done that from the beginning. Good idea. Let's do that. <laughs> yeah, it, it is not dissimilar, but it, it's a way to get around that. The difference between, say, shamanism and dark shamanism is dark shamanism, which I do think is ancestral to arcane magic. Dark shamanism forces your will, which means you have to win a contest with that thing. You have to get involved in a, in a battle and- of wills and win it. And it also feeds into why arcane magic is so prevalent because it's a natural occurrence on Azeroth. It's part of Azeroth. We talked about the ley lines. We talked about how it was not that long ago, a few episodes ago, where we did the Dragonflight special, uh, where we talked about uh, Malagos and we talked about uh, the Blue Dragonflight and we talked about, you know, resting control of the ley lines away from mortals but literally these are currents that run through the planet these are veins of power that are naturally occurring here yeah and think about how that might work if you're a dark shaman and you're constantly having to get in these will these battles of wills and then you discover like say you know the well of eternity which is this natural font of pure arcane power that, that doesn't go anywhere off, and leeches off into the whole world now you can go you can apply your will to it nothing fights you because Azeroth itself isn't doesn't even take notice of you. It just she's bleeding. Here's her hers her here's her essence. You just scoop as much as you want up and use it. And now you don't have to win that battle of wills. If the elemental is giving you trouble, you draw upon an enormous amount of arcane power and you grab that water elemental and you make it obey you. But you're not even using your will to do it. You don't have to fight it. It's it has no choice. It can't oppose that magic because there's just so much of it. And it's the magic of Azeroth. It's her blood. Mm-hmm. It's the world that this thing is a part of. Boom. Now you have arcane magic. And what happens when Fel gets involved? Fel is easier to use because Fel wants to be and used. For, furthering the point real quick, just before we move on to the Fel, like look at just all the spells that uh, like mages use. They're all elemental based. And I would argue that even arcane is an elemental based thing. Yeah, it's we just, just haven't realized it yet. <laughs> well, I mean, it's probably spirit. It's yeah. probably spirit. It's slash, probably spirit anima. anima. Yep. Yeah. Like, I would not be surprised. This is way off into the weeds from where uh, from where Vertigree uh, wanted us to go. But I, I'm really, really enjoying this conversation. Well, yeah. Let's get to the fell one then. Yeah, like, please. Uh, let's, you, you want me to go? Or you go. Please, please. All right. If you look at like when Illidan talks about using fell. He talks about the fact that, you know, when he was using arcane magic, he ended up having to kill several of his sorcerers to try and stop the Legion because he, he was drawing power that they couldn't handle. 
he was ripping it out of their bodies to just keep the, the, the Legion at bay. Because unlike arcane magic, which is completely uncaring and is basically follows orderly natural rules, Fell wants to be used and doesn't follow any rules. So you can use it and it's easy to use, but look what happens to you. Even before he got his eyeballs ripped out, Illidan was changing. The, the power he was tapping was changing him. Then he got his eyeballs ripped out and replaced with glowing fiery orbs that could see all the fell around them. And now he was getting really weird. But this is still, he was still basically an elf. Like nobody looked at him and thought, oh, that guy's not an elf. But we saw what happened during the third war when he found the skull of Gul'dan and drew all of the demonic power out of it. You saw what happened to him and you've seen what happens to other people who feed on fell. Mm-hmm. It changes them. It mutates them. Even, even uh, look at demon, look at the other demon hunters. Mm-hmm. Look at how far they go. Cause even Illidan, like in, in all of that, uh, he, while yes, he had wings and the horns and, and cloven feet at the end there, that was it. And that was all the time. Demon hunters sometimes get consumed from the inside. Uh, sometimes the demon that they house uh, takes control completely or metamorphosis is a complete transformation of them from their mortal shell into what they are. Like it is, it is. And then that's them in control, right? Then look yeah. at things that fell that don't have control. Look at, look at Gul'dan and his twisted nature, the spines that were not part of his armor, apparently. Um, yeah. <laughs> Run out of his back, man. That's that's okay, buddy. Look at uh, the but, monstrosities but, 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 yeah. of 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 uh, the Hellfire Citadel. Look at how the orcs were were twisted and and corrupted by fell and fell blood. And and man, if we had time, we could do a whole thing on the origins of the orcs and how orcs respond to various kinds of magic because it's fascinating. We might do that at some point because yeah. I I have I have things spinning in my head because of this. Yeah, but to get to get back to the point being that. All of these different kinds of magic are tapped into in basically the same way. I mean, look at warlocks. Warlocks, again, they make a deal, but they make a deal with one demon. And that demon tells them how to use fell. And that's it. There's The demons that they then summon show up because they want to. Because they want to commit ha- havoc in the mortal realm. They don't show up because of a deal. They're literally just... There's magics that they're using that come from the titans originally. That were meant to summon demons... So they could capture them. Mm-hmm. That's what a warlock is using. The demons show up gleefully because they know the Titans aren't calling them. And they know that means they're going to just get to do stuff. And they want to do stuff. There's, there's no hesitation. There's no none of that. Like, you don't have to bargain with them. They will just show up and wreak havoc because that's what they want to do. You are essentially promising them. It's like, you know, oh, small children, come to my candy van. You know, they're like, oh, hey, we like candy. You know, that's basically what's going on. So yeah, it's really fascinating. All of this is to say we have no idea about the storm rages at all. <laughs> but the the idea of why they might be considered storm rages, it's pretty clear that both Illidan and, and Malfurion, deep down, have an inexhaustible supply of rage. Oh yeah, no, their temper is off the chain. Like yeah, just you, you look at their yeah. interactions. Like Malfurion yeah. is better about it because he's been he's gone through druidic training. He's gone through. Uh, the tutelage of Cenarius and, and has found some form of inner peace, but we've seen the cinematic. We've seen what happens when his rage is unleashed. Yeah. Honestly, what gets me is that have like Illidan and Malfurion remind me so much of Havoc and Cyclops. Yeah, really? They do. Not even funny. 
Like Havoc's, you know, Illidan is Havoc, the hothead who blows up all the time. And Malfurion is Cyclops, the incredibly rigidly controlled one who every every telepath who meets it wants to be with him because they can feel all that in there. But he's never letting it out. You know, Tyrande and Malfurion make a lot of sense if you realize that she's an incredibly domineering person and she enjoys knowing that she's got him completely under her control. Yeah. Yeah. That, then their relationship makes sense. You know, previously, you're like, why, why are these two together? Oh, oh, he's her favorite pet. Okay. Now I understand. Like, b- but both Malfurion and Illidan, just so much rage. So much. I am not surprised that their name is Storm Rage because, woo, you know, <laughs> yay. Illidan almost blew up the West, the Eastern Kingdoms. Malfurion cracked the planet in half. He like literally tore a big old hole right in Kalimdor and sank half of it. There, you don't in there is a very angry person. All right, I think we have time for one more uh, before we we are completely out, and uh, we're going to go over to uh, Tetsemi one more time, uh, who just has all sorts of great questions for us all the time. I mean, everybody does, but uh, I really enjoy Warcraft lore, but no longer enjoy the MMO part of the WoW MMORPG. Not that they'd ever do one, but if Blizzard were returned to a single-player RPG, what story would you like to play through? What lore would you like to discover, and what area would you like to explore? I mean, technically speaking, they they do single... They're doing a single-player RPG right now called Diablo. Yeah, that's what that is. Even though it has a multiplayer aspect, it's still yeah. But it's it's initial. It's intended to be a single-player game that you can then do with friends. Um, I mean, if they were going to do a Warcraft one, uh, I mean, Warcraft single-player was originally was the original RTS. Yeah, because that that Fortress was a, it had, yeah. It had MMO elements. Like I mean, it had massively online stuff. You can and to this day, you know, Warcraft's three you can play it online with friends and fight them but it was intended as single player the rts aspect was you versus the computer um i don't know how an a warcraft single player rpg would just would it just be world of warcraft but nobody bugging me like what would it be could could it get past the fact that world of warcraft is so known and the lore has been so established as part of it i don't know i i don't there, I don't want to see them do the same thing they've already done. Let me put it that way. There's something that I thought would have been really, really neat a long time ago. And it's something I thought about off and on. There was a game series that came out and I'm sure Matt remembers it. I'm pretty sure we've talked about it. Uh, and other, and others of you might remember it. It's the black and white series. And it's essentially, you are a God trying to raise a civilization. That concept was always kind of neat, and it always had sort of RTS elements to it, but it had some RPG elements to it as well. That Taking that core gameplay loop and then shoving more RPG elements into it, I honestly would like to see something along those lines, but as the Titans shaping the universe, where you play as the various Titans to learn their journey through the universe, whether it's Amonthul waking up other Titans and cultivating a planet so that they could uh, be born, they could take form or whatever that even actually means uh, to join the Pantheon and then moving through the universe and ordering things, seeing where they got the divine start from where Amonthul sort of woke up to begin with. Because as much as we know about the Titans, we know precious little. Like, we've seen them, kind of. We've, we've, we've seen their spirits, we freed them, we know nothing about their past. We know nothing really about what's going on out there. There's a, a section in the the grimoire that 
even states that everything we know is only told from a certain point of view. We have no unbiased accounting for how they ordered things or what they did. I would love to know more about that. I would love to know more about the ordering of the universe, and I don't think they'll ever do it because they'd also have to explain Azeroth, probably, or or the game ends at the uh, discovery of Azeroth, and, and they still don't know what it is, et cetera, et cetera, and the whole old god stuff. But we, no matter what, what we learn, we will never actually know that story. So something separate and doing that, I'd be really keen with. It, oh, God, you just made my head think of something. Go for it. 4X game. You play as various titans and or old gods on an, on a primordial Azeroth, uh, trying to create your various kingdom or cleanse your, the world of old god corruption. And you run into basically just like civilization, but with titans and old gods instead of, you know, Gandhi going nuclear on people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just, that just floated into my head. And you don't like, you don't, I don't think they're ever going to do the origin of the Titans because I think to a certain degree, stuff like the first ones and the Titans and the eternal ones, it's good not to really know what. Yeah, no, no, agree. You know, it's better ephemeral, right? But I do think it would be kind of interesting to like find like the shell of the world that was Amanthul, since Amanthul is the first Titan we know of, at least the first Titan in the Pantheon to wake up. Like, did he or did his it, body was he is, or was he the first? Well, he's the first in the Pantheon. That doesn't mean he's the first Titan. Because there could be entire other groups of titans out there that are not part of the pantheon. The pantheon we know of is just, you know, Amanthul, Aonar, you know, Sargeras, all of those guys. That's just one group. We don't know how many titans there are. There could be an entire other group of titans. There could be multiple other groups. Yeah. (laughs) But at this point, I do think we got to get going. Yeah, I think that's going to do it for today, folks. Uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast lighting community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the Q&A ads for site experience. Uh, I do want to thank all of our listeners for sending in those questions. Please continue to send those in, uh, or if you want to send in a theme episode, or if we hit on something that you really like uh, and you want to hear more about, like maybe you want to hear an entire episode of how orcs are the ultimate transformer of the Warcraft universe, go ahead the, and... The gnomes of Draenor. They're the gnomes of Draenor, uh, which... That's a whole other thing we could talk about. Thank you, Mechanonomes. Um, let us know. Send it in and just, just specify that, you know, that's what you want. And you can send those in at pod, uh, podcast at blizzardwatch.com as an email or one of our various uh, Discord channels. Patreon supporters do get first billing as a way of saying thank you for your continued patronage. Uh, but I think that's going to do it for us, folks. We'll see you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.